Carrie. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime New, New England. England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back to our spooky Halloween True Crime New England extravaganza VIP spectacular fabulous Halloween special TM. TM. <laughs> Guys, if you're new to our podcast or haven't been listening the whole time, you might have noticed the theme music is a little different today. For those of you who have either been listening the whole time, have binged and listened to all the episodes, whether in real time or, you know, earlier, you guys might remember that last year we did Halloween episodes, special ones. Yes. Spooky and kind of, they were, I mean, true crime, but like a little skewed. Yeah. Just a little. So for recap... Um, you can go back and listen to them now if you'd like. They are episodes 16 through 19. Mm-hmm. And they include the cases such as the Salem Witch Trials. Lizzie Borden. Oh, a good one. The Devil Made Me Do It, which is um, actually a Conjuring movie. Yeah, and then more of a local New Hampshire one, Goody Cole. Yes. Very interesting. A lot of witchy, mm-hmm. spooky, fun... Um, cases and the thing is too is from the very beginning we started our podcast in june of 2021 and like that was when it was first released and by july of 2021 katie had already mapped out so many (laughs) weeks ahead in what we were going to do for the four weeks of october Mm -hmm. this time we completely boofed it and we we're planning it out and we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we were like, wait, that's October. <laughs> we completely surpassed it. But don't worry, guys. We're here. We're ready. We're spooky. And we are prepared because at least two of the cases that we're going to cover throughout the month of October were ones that we've had on the list since last October. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we have some really, really good ones. Yeah. Um, The one we have today actually is more of a historical one, Mm -hmm. which is a good one to start off with because last year we started off with also a historical one, the Salem Salem Witch Witch Trials. And the one we have today, there were some articles that kind of compared the two because of mass hysteria and just spooky and the crazy shit that goes on. When people are scared and freak out. Yes. Um, Last year to prepare, Katie and I went to Salem, Massachusetts. We went in sometime in September because Mm -hmm. it was less busy. And it was great. Um, We went to the museum and we went on a trolley tour, like, around. We got um, our tarot cards read. Yeah. Yep. Um, That was nuts. This year to prepare, Katie and I drank each other's blood. And um, (laughs) so before we get admitted to the hospital, we figured we would throw this episode out really quick. For our later episodes, this, like, this month, we're going to be talking about, like, cults and more conjuring things. Mm -hmm. We're going to work on the possession part, but I cannot guarantee that we will get there. Just to prepare you guys, you know, we're not really on our game this year. (laughs) But... We're so excited. We are drinking apple cider as we record this episode. So, you know, <laughs> listen, we're getting in the getting in the spirit. Yeah. And uh, it's just got a little Prosecco in it. <laughs> and we well, you need it, you know, when you're talking about something so crazy. Mm-hmm. But this this is a really interesting topic. And it's not something I knew happened in New England. And it's 
was all over New England. Yeah. Crazy stuff. As you guys all know, I am a skeptic. I'm not like a great spooky natural kind of person. You, Katie, are a great spooky natural person. Thank you. You're uh, a lot more into it and, you know, you have a lot more knowledge about that stuff. I just choose to not think about it. That's okay. But it creates an interesting dynamic. For sure. And we can bounce ideas and opinions off each other. I think that's really good, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the one we have today, I've had on the list for a while. So long. Around. It's a really, really good one. There's a lot of folklore around it. And it's just something that is specific to New England mm-hmm. that I really, really like. And it relates directly to Halloween and yes. October. So it's a good one. Oh, it's going to be very interesting, guys. So definitely stick around. Mm-hmm. Give it a shot. I know it sounds, it could sound silly because it's vampire panic. It's not even so much like the classic vampires that you're probably picturing in your head. Mm -hmm. It's actually a little different. So um, if you're wanting to learn about that, stick around. And without further ado, today we will be covering the The New New England England Vampire Panic. Panic. Okay, just because it's a spooky, special Halloween extravaganza, VIP, party town, SST, (laughs) RMP, QQ, Halloween special, TM, TM, we still will start off with our sources, Mm -hmm. and in true, true crime New England fashion, Katie, please. You know, like you said it perfectly, Liz, Mm. it's a special episode. Yes. But we're not veering away from tradition. Mm. My first source was, in fact, Wikipedia. To say that as a relief is an understatement (laughs) because it's so important to our research. (laughs) If you guys can donate money to Wikipedia, do it. Wikipedia would be nothing without you. It's true. Wikifeet, I could do without. (laughs) (laughs) I also had the Smithsonian history.howstuffworks.com, Heritage Daily, and History.com. Just history overall. History.com. Great. All history. Every piece of history ever in the world Okay, is on History.com. <laughs> Very thorough. Great. Um, I had sources such as New England Today. I had a few from them. The Smithsonian Magazine was very thorough. Heritage Daily. What Lies Beyond, and also a little bit from the Mayo Clinic, which I used in the last episode, too. That's right. So we're getting spooky, and we're getting medical. Not really. And historical. And historical. History.com, baby. Damn right. All right. (laughs) Katie, let's talk about the vampire panic of New England. It is exactly what the name implies. We're in New England. People are panicking over vampires question mark right there was a tuberculosis outbreak in the 19th century mostly rhode island but all across new england Mm -hmm. this is actually our first case where every state of new england is encompassed yeah that's a good point Mm -hmm. it was a mass hysteria that happened over 200 years after the hysteria of the salem witch trials Tuberculosis was referred to as consumption back in the day. 
it started plaguing New England in about the 1730s and by the 1800s, which is when the vampire panic was at its worst, consumption was the leading cause of death in all of the Northeast. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Very contagious disease. So, Katie, great point. Consumption, you guys probably have heard of that before. It's not commonly used these days to describe tuberculosis, but in historical novels and things like that, you hear about consumption quite a bit. Like you said, Katie, it was so contagious and so rampant that everyone was getting tuberculosis and dying. So you may be wondering, what is tuberculosis slash consumption? Well, I'll tell you. Well, the Mayo Clinic will tell you. So tuberculosis is caused by Mycobacterium tuberculosis, which is a bacteria, and it is spread literally like airborne droplets. It's you breathe in the right direction of a someone with TB and you've you got it. Um, there are two phases of TB, which includes latent TB, as in you have the infection, but the bacteria is inactive and you don't have any symptoms and you're not contagious to others. And then there's active TB, which causes actual symptoms um, and is very contagious and it can either happen over a few weeks or a few years. There are people who suffer with tuberculosis for years. Mm-hmm. And they can go through like ups and downs of recovery and not. It's very awful for your lungs and very contagious and unfortunate. And this is, of course, before modern medicine. Mm-hmm. So there was silly cures for it. Like, this made me laugh so hard. I'm sure you saw this, Katie. One, drinking brown sugar dissolved in water. Mm-hmm. And then frequent horseback riding. <laughs> yeah. To get air into the lungs. I guess? I don't know. It just made me laugh. Like, okay, everyone, the doctor prescribed some horseback riding. (laughs) Like, it's just so weird. So, tuberculosis is the disease where in movies and, you know, period pieces, where someone will dramatically cough into their white handkerchief, and it will be spotted in blood. Everyone's like, oh, no, the consumption has plagued thee. Like, it's... Constance, what's happening? Consumption is where someone would disappear for a while and go on a retreat to the seaside and they'd Mm. be sitting in a wheelchair wrapped in a blanket looking out over at the sea as they hack up more blood. Mm -hmm. It's very foggy and there's a distant like fog horn. (laughs) Yes. A writer in the 18th century wrote, quote, the emaciated figure strikes one with terror, the forehead covered with drops of sweat the cheeks painted with a livid crimson, the eyes sunk, the breath offensive, quick and laborious, and the cough so incessant as to scarce allow the wretched sufferer time to tell his complaints. That is a very poetic and accurate way to describe tuberculosis. Like you're hacking up blood and you can't even catch a breath to talk. Yeah. It's debilitating. It's awful. Um, And along with you know, those symptoms, just to kind of make it sound more modern as well. The coughing is the biggest one. Coughing up blood, especially in mucus. Chest pain with breathing. Weight loss, like you're wasting away. Chills, fever, and fatigue. And then long-term untreated tuberculosis or consumption could cause problems like spinal pain. Mm -hmm. Ow. Damaged joints. It could also cause meningitis, which is um, the inflammation of the 
cover the coverings of your brain, which can be very bad, um, and even like heart disease. Mm -hmm. So it's not once you get it, like if it's an active TB, you're at this time period, you're fucked. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> you're totally fucked. Completely. Tuberculosis was referred to as consumption back in the day, as we've discussed, mm -hmm. um, because it was thought to be, you know, you're looking at these victims of consumption and they're being consumed by this disease. Rapid weight loss. Yeah. You know, their eyes are sunken in. They're ashen. They're pale. They're gaunt. Sometimes they'd have blood around their mouth from hacking up blood. Yeah. So a lot of times, and we've seen this in history time and time again, when things are happening and you don't know why and you don't have an explanation, you try to come up with an explanation to ease the fear and the uncertainty of what's going on. Yeah. Townspeople in New England, you know, very hysterical. Mm accusing people of being witches 200 oh, years ago. Yeah. You know, nobody learned their lesson because now people who are sick with consumption are being accused of being vampires. Oh. They took the word consumption to a whole new level and they thought that it meant the victim of consumption was then consuming others. And that is how the disease was spreading. Because once somebody in a household got it, it was only a matter of time before the rest of the family contracted it. Mm -hmm. So they're thinking that if you have consumption, you're feasting on the lives of your family and friends and neighbors, and that's how it's spreading. Right. Which is a very interesting theory. And to be fair, you know, the whole image of a vampire sucking mm. blood, yeah. they're pale... They're ashen. They don't. They can't go out in the sun. They look atrocious. Right. And I wonder too if the blood around the mouth from coughing up blood made someone think that oh they're sucking the blood from somebody like they're sucking the life out of someone. Right. That's a good point. I can see back then when they didn't have a lot of medicine and scientific knowledge how that could be what they used to describe tuberculosis because mm -hmm. it's a good point. I mean when we think of the classic vampire, exactly what you just said. And that's what someone sick with TP looks like. Yeah. So I bet you guys were wondering when we would start the lecture on the history of vampirism. <laughs> and I'll tell you right now. So the origin of vampirism can be traced literally all the way back to cuneiform text, which is like the earliest form of like any data that we have. Um, and that dates back to like the Sumerians and Assyrians, which is like, so far back. That's like the OG people. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally the earliest civilization known to man. They were referred to the vampires as demonic figures and they supposedly consumed human flesh or drank blood. Makes sense, right? That's how we think of vampires. So in the 17th, 18th century, the more common form of vampirism that we know started to kind of spread. Um, and there's a quote from an author and a folklorist who says that he gives a really good description of vampires. Um, he says, they are revenants of evil beings, suicide victims, witches, corpses possessed by malevolent spirit or a victim of a vampire attack. So basically any of those things, they were like, mm, vampire, sorry kind of come back as a vampire, already passed on the vampire, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. 
so I this is where I have to I think we're talking about vampires it's really important that we do mention Twilight um so think of like you know Edward gave Bella vampirism he bit her I think I read that book in fourth grade um he bit her he spread the vampirism to her via biting saliva whatever an exchanging of whatever so that's a good example of like even back then they kind of thought that's how it was done mm-hmm. but with less glitter like robert pattinson in twilight <laughs> a folklorist named paul barber the one who said what i just quoted um he believes that the theory of vampire myths came from people like observing various like states of decay so that included the bloated look of a corpse, which, you know, looks as if they just ate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sound that the body makes when natural gases are released, which are creepy. So, okay, it's 1700s. I can see that, I guess. Makes sense. Other New Englanders chalked the vampirism up to, like, corpses still having blood in mm-hmm. their system, which is, I mean, if they're not embalmed or if they're buried when it's very cold outside still and it's old technology not super unreasonable that they'd Mm -hmm. still have blood um many of the modern scientists who look back at this and are like what um they theorize that probably the symptoms of vampirism closely mirror those of something called porphyria a rare genetic disorder that can cause extreme sensitivity to sunlight and turn teeth like red brown. Wow. Which sounds like a vampire. Right, like someone just bit into somebody and their teeth are covered mm-hmm. in blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously, like we're talking about, this panic spread all over New England. And so people were scrambling to find different cures and different things to do to prevent their lo- dead loved ones from passing on the vampire trait to their other loved ones. Mm -hmm. So this is where the panic sets in because they're like, they feel as though they're fighting the clock, which they are technically because it's tuberculosis, but they think that like their loved ones are going to rise from the grave and suck their blood. And then they're going to just repeat the pattern. It's hysteria. Complete hysteria. So, when people died of consumption in New England, their bodies would then be exhumed and their internal organs would be removed and examined. Mm. So, when a family kicked the bucket because of tuberculosis, you know, they'd be buried, okay, great. You know, people would begin to speculate who in that family caused this. Right. Who in that family was feasting on their loved ones and consuming them. So they would often exhume entire families and perform a kind of test on them to see if a certain corpse was coming alive and feeding on and infecting the living. Mm -hmm. So if a corpse looked, quote, unusually fresh, (laughs) or if the organs contained liquid blood, Mm -hmm. they would then decide that that person was a vampire. Oh, boy. So once they're like, okay... John Smith is a vampire. Mm -hmm. The rest of his family is dying of consumption, but we can save them. We have a cure. They would do several different things, depending on where you were in New England, different Mm -hmm. 
regions of New England, they believed they could prevent the ailing family members from dying. So in Maine and in parts of northern Massachusetts, mm -hmm. they would exhume the body, do their little test. Okay, John Smith is a vampire. They would simply flip him over in their grave, bury him back up. Okay, problem solved. Like now they're so disoriented they can't get they can't right. get out of their grave. Right. Now they go to rise from their grave and they're upside down and they're trapped there. Okay. Awesome. Fine. Not really hurting anybody, you know, just kind of okay. That's yeah. your belief. Okay. Fine. In other cases, usually in Rhode Island, Connecticut, Vermont, and parts of New Hampshire, families, the afflicted ill family members would dig up the corpse of their loved one cut out and burn the organs, usually the heart, mm -hmm. and then rebury the body. It goes so far as to dismember the corpse. They would decapitate it. Yeah. They would sometimes rearrange the bones in a skull and crossbone shape. Right. Where they would take two bones, usually the femurs, yeah. and then put them underneath the skull, like the skull and crossbone. Yeah. The kicker for me here is that they're doing all of this and they're like, no, we have to take it one step further to save the ailing, afflicted family that is clinging to life. Yes. We are going to cut open the corpse, remove the heart. Sometimes the liver would be thrown in there too. Usually it was the heart and they would burn the heart on like a nearby rock or a nearby stone mm -hmm. and they would make the family members that were sick inhale the smoke from the burning organs or even eat the ashes that were then made into a tonic to uh, try and cure them barf can you imagine eating the ashes of your sick dead loved one and we know now it's 2022 we know now that these things are not cures these things would not be effective right if someone did make a recovery and even so a recovery back then from tuberculosis was when they would go into the latent phase or yeah. when they would kind of be on an uphill, like, oh, okay, yeah, it looks like they're recovering. Yeah. Our healing cure worked. And then they take a turn for the worse yeah. and die anyway years later. Yeah. It was it was a clusterfuck. It was crazy. Completely. Crazy. And sometimes in like Vermont especially, mm -hmm. it's a small state. Yeah. When someone was exhuming a body, it wasn't really possible to keep it a secret mm -hmm. so they would make a huge spectacle of it in the town center yeah like burning someone's heart in the town center and having people inhale it yes and eat it exactly that Katie. <laughs> that literally is perfect for the story i'm about to tell you please take it away i want to tell you guys one of the earliest known cases of new england vampirism that kind of got everyone like what the fuck and it actually involves a woman named Rachel Harris. That blows my mind that somebody named Rachel was alive in 1790. <laughs> I just think, I just th picture it as like a 60s name. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Rachel a little bit and her family. So in March of 1789, Captain Isaac Burton married Rachel Harris in Manchester, Vermont. Um, the pair had been married mm, like a, less than a year when Rachel got sick with consumption and died pretty quickly in February of 1790. So they were just under a year of marriage. And they probably met about two weeks before they got <laughs> married. So supposedly when she died, 
She was ravaged with like, you know, coughing, high fever. She was delirious, blood soaked, mouth, like everything. She looked awful. But apparently she, this is so cinematic and it's probably um, exaggerated, but supposedly she looked at, she looked at her husband, Captain, Captain Isaac. She smiled and she said, I'll be with you always and then died <laughs> damn and it to me i was reading that like oh i read that as like a beautiful like oh that's so sweet you know like right carry her in your heart I'll always be watching over you yeah like an angel yeah with fangs <laughs> um although captain isaac burden was very upset like he was known to have isolated himself in his house for a while before he came out and immediately married another woman. Um, her name was Hulda Powell, and they married on April 4th of 1791, which was just 14 months after Rachel had succumbed to consumption. Just a few months into the marriage, Hulda began to have symptoms of the same ailment that Rachel did. That is weird. It's not like it's contagious. Um, and, but he was wealthy. Captain Burton was wealthy, so he was able to pay for doctors that were coming from everywhere, and it was like the best care in the world. At one point, you know, towards the end, Hulda had gotten bedridden. She was so sick, she was bedridden. Um, and an elderly relative of hers, an aunt, came to Burton with an idea, with a theory. with a. She was so sure she had a reason why this was happening to her niece. She told Captain Burton that she thought a wicked spirit was draining all the life from Hulda and that she had reason to believe that the spirit was Rachel. You know why? Because she said, I'll be with you always. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So immediately after this proclamation from this cuckoo aunt, <laughs> they, like, without hesitation, Burton was like, I know what I must do. And they literally went to her grave and dug her up dug Rachel's body up, who had just died, you know, 14 months to two years before. This was a ceremony almost, like an event attended by a lot of family members. So when the family was like, okay, we know what to do, they went to Rachel's grave. It was February of 1792, and there was like this whole spectacle of like, okay, it's time. We must do this for Hulda. Um, so two men unburied her coffin, and when they opened it, the bloated corpse of Rachel lay there. Bloated as if she had just eaten, right? The the aunt was so sure she saw the body, and she was like, Told ya! <laughs> In fact, she even cried out, Gorged on the blood of the victim. Look, see the stains about the mouth. This meant one thing, of course, that she was a vampire in that she was responsible for Hulda's sickness, naturally. So, an attempt to save Hulda, like you were explaining, a great, very delicious method that they went about was taking Rachel out of the coffin, cutting into her, and taking um, her heart, liver, and her lungs. They took these organs to the town square essentially where a blacksmith was and it said that roughly 500 to a thousand people showed up and were standing around like woo and they watched as they burned the heart lungs and liver of rachel harris of course 
because it only makes sense. The smoke was like black and billowing, and a lot of witnesses said that they saw like a terrible beast within the smoke, and that was proof enough to them that Rachel sure, uh, you know, she was a vampire. It's obvious, guys. It's obvious. So, of course, they did this whole ceremony, and they burned these organs, and they had Hulda smell it and kind of inhale the smoke, and just, it was going to save her life. And it did until less than two months later when she died of tuberculosis. <laughs> and so naturally, they were like, listen, I, I, we, we'll still keep trying. We'll keep trying this technique and see if it works. And you know what? Good on them for the persistence, but <laughs> clearly, uh, no. So some versions of the story also claim that parts of her organs were preserved to kind of make like a medication for Hulda, but obviously that didn't work. After Hulda died, the townspeople, you know, they were like, oh, what we did didn't work, but that didn't deter them. They didn't think that they did anything wrong. This was their reasoning though. They said, you know what? Maybe we theorized wrong. Maybe she wasn't a vampire. Maybe she was a witch. Like, come on. Of course. Of course. That's always their excuse. Ugh. To round it out, I have a fun fact that's not that fun. Rachel's grave was desecrated. It was, you know, they dug her up. But Hulda was buried. Eventually, the captain was buried next to her, and his third and fourth wives were buried next to them. So it was a whole family affair in Manchester, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Wow. The whole inhaling organ dust to me of a, someone who's been dead for 14 months. Oh, God. Makes your stomach... The stench. Okay. Oh, God. One of the more famous cases of the New England vampire panic occurred in Rhode Island in 1892. 19-year-old Mercy Brown, who was referred to as Lena, which was her nickname, is hugely mentioned when the topic of the vampire panic is brought up. Yep. When Mercy was still a child... Her mom caught consumption in 1882. Mm -hmm. That, of course, slowly but surely spread to the rest of her family. Yeah. Her older sister died of it a year after her mom, and then her brother Edwin got it and became pretty sick, but he was still hanging on. Yeah, it was a long, drawn-out sickness yes. for Edwin. Yeah. Edwin got it and then went to somewhere in Colorado for like a respite for the clean mountain air to heal his lungs. Great. So Edwin is sent away to recover, quote-unquote, mm. and then finally Mercy was consumed. Yeah. And at this point she was like 19. Yes. Give or take. Yeah. This is what led neighbors to believe that someone in the family was a vampire because neighbors are watching this entire family drop like flies yep. over the course of a decade, essentially, right. from 1882 until Mercy caught it in 1892. Right. Historians think that Mercy got it so late and then died really quickly of it because she had what they refer to as galloping tuberculosis, mm -hmm. which is where you can be asymptomatic for a really long time, sometimes for years, like yeah. you said. And then once the symptoms start, it's already the beginning of the end and you're done. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, a doctor told Lena's dad, George Brown, mm -hmm. that any medical intervention would just be useless. They didn't even, like, try. Yeah. Because she just got real sick real fast. And they knew what it was. Vampirism. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they'd seen it before. They knew. You know, this is the course of how 
this sickness happens, so they knew that mm-hmm. she was just going to die. But Mr. Edwin was still somehow, by the grace of God, clinging to life. Yeah. After Mercy had been dead for about two months, neighbors are pushing her father. Okay, someone in the family's a vampire. You need to allow us to dig up the graves of your wife and two daughters so we can figure out who among them is a vampire and save your only remaining child and family member, Edwin. Right. Who is afflicted. Yeah, and he has been for years. And he's deteriorating. Right. So they're like, okay, it's either the mom, the sister, or Mercy. Like, let, let's, let's get going. Right. So her father kind of begrudgingly allowed them to dig up all of his family. Mm-hmm. Even though he didn't really think it was a vampire, but he's not going to argue with, you know, a bunch of townspeople with torches and pitchforks. Right, and why would he argue with logic like that? <laughs> <laughs> right, because what if... He said, no, that's not true. And they said, what if you're the vampire? Good point. Just like in Salem. Right. Uh, they're not a witch. Oh, it must be you. Yeah, right. <laughs> so My wife's like... not a witch. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, okay. So you're a witch. <laughs> Ridiculous. So he let, it was a doctor, a reporter, and just villagers. Whoever wanted to partake helped dig up Mercy's mom, Mercy's big sister, and Mercy herself. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Because poor Edwin, he was being afflicted with this. Poor Edwin was being afflicted with this disease and, you know, was described as demons eating him alive, like feasting on the living tissue and blood naturally. So then, of course, like you were saying, all right, let's go dig up these bodies of my loved ones. (laughs) Crazy. The kicker for me is that Mercy's mom and Mercy's sister caught and died of consumption in 1882 and 1883, respectively. Right. It took a decade for Mercy to develop symptoms and pass away. Right. So by the time they dig up Mercy's mom and Mercy's sister, Mm -hmm. they're a pile of bones. Truly. And they go, okay, mom... A pile of bones, okay, not the vampire, move on to the next one. R.I.P. <laughs> All right, sorry to disturb you. <laughs> move on to the next one. Mercy's big sister, okay, pile of bones, okay, Father's of the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, holy water, sorry to bug you. Right. Next. When Mercy's body was exhumed, hmm. they found that her body was not really that decomposed and that her heart had, quote, fresh blood in it. Hmm, but now we know why. There's a perfectly reasonable explanation for why she was found in such a state. First of all, it was January (laughs) when Mercy died. Right. And her body was kept in an above-ground crypt as opposed to being buried like the rest of her family because in January, the ground is a little uh, frozen solid. It's very um, taut. Yes. In this above-ground crypt, and it being January, it acted like kind of a refrigerator, yeah. and it helped preserve her body the way it was. Um, she had also died two months before her corpse was disturbed, as opposed to her mom and sister, who had died ten years right. before they disturbed their <laughs> remains. Right. So, of course, naturally, they 
find Mercy and she's preserved and they think that she has been the vampire all along. They caught her. They finally caught her. Red-handed. <laughs> Literally. Red-tinged mouth. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Bloated. Bloated. <laughs> Ugh. Fresh blood in her heart. So, of course, they hack open her corpse. They cut out her heart, burn it on a stone nearby, <laughs> take the ashes and mix them with water to make a tonic to give her ailing brother to drink to cure him and, quote, stop the influence of the dead. Which was, you know, such a good idea. And it was really, really helpful for Edwin, it turns out. It was. For two months. <laughs> and then he died. <laughs> Are we seeing a pattern here? Like <laughs> A little bit. And you know what's funny is that there's a whole century in between Rachel Harris and her death and the Brown family right. contagious death. Interesting. Right. So imagine what was going on in between the two women. Mm -hmm. Like what was going on in various parts of New England. I mean, we know that multiple people were being exhumed and their corpses sliced open and hearts burned in the street. And it's it was a panic. It was yeah. mass hysteria. People were freaking the fuck out. And, um, you know, I'll add a fun fact about George Brown here at the end, like I did with the other story, in that it's, I mean, it's not fun, it's just a fact. Um, like you said, Katie, he claims he didn't believe in the vampires, and he did it just to appease the neighbors. Interestingly enough, George never contracted tuberculosis. Don't know how. Maybe because he's the vampire? Just saying. <laughs> And he actually lived until 1922, which was 40 years after his wife died. Wow. Yeah. I don't even know how old he was to, to begin with, right. but clearly he was in his probably 60s, 70s. Jesus. Surrounded by consumption, too, and he lived, which is suspicious, just saying. <laughs> just saying. A little fun fact about Mercy. Mm. Um, usually when... A body was exhumed and a ritual was performed. It was kept kind of hush-hush. Mm -hmm. Like the neighbors and the villagers would kind of like tiptoe to the grave and dig them up. And mm -hmm. sometimes a doctor would be there. Sometimes, depending on the state, like Vermont, it was a really big deal. It would be in the town square, like you said, with Rachel. Mm -hmm. And then in Vermont, where Vermont, the graveyards were more spread out. There was mm -hmm. more space. Right. You could kind of do one quietly, <laughs> unless it was a big affair, and then everybody would get involved, like with Mercy. Yeah. So because Mercy's situation was so huge, it actually made the news. Oh. A clipping of her story that was published in the newspaper in 1896 made its way to a London stage manager and writer named Bram Stoker. He owned a theater company that was touring the United States that same year. Mm -hmm. He published his famous novel, Dracula, oh. in 1897. Ah. Some historians don't think that there was enough time between him reading the article and then publishing his manuscript for Dracula. Yeah. But there's actually a character in the novel named Lucy. Some people think that this character, Lucy... Um, that her name was a combination of Lena and Mercy. Ah, okay. Which is, um, if you guys don't recall, the same person. Mercy was just referred to as Lena by her family. It was yeah, her, middle it was her middle name. Yeah, so same person. Um, 
This character, Lucy, was ill with symptoms of consumption and mm. then turned into a vampire and had her body exhumed. Mm. A doctor was present for Lucy being exhumed, which is kind of rare, yeah. but a doctor was also present for when Mercy was exhumed. Right. So there's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Lucy's also a teenage girl. Yep. Um, yeah, so potentially Mercy Brown inspired... Dracula. That's nuts. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Super fun fact. Yeah. Huh. To think someone from New England perhaps influenced one of the most famous, you know, tales of all time. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. By the end of the vampire panic, at least 80 bodies were exhumed and thought to be vampires. There are likely much more than this, but this is what was recorded. Mm -hmm. One of the most recent discoveries was in the 1990s. Wow. Yeah, the (laughs) 1990s. That's, wow. Archaeologists found 29 skeletons in a gravel pit in Griswold, Connecticut. Holy shit. Like a mass grave. I did not hear about that. Mm -hmm. Technically, the archaeologists did not find it. Two kids. (gasps) Found it. Oh, God. They're playing in the dirt in the pit. Wee! Yeah, I love rocks. Oh, look at this. And then one of the kids comes home with a skull. Why? To show their parents. God, why? And the mom probably screamed and was like, we need the police over here. <laughs> they actually thought that the mass grave was from, like, a serial killer. Yeah. And then they did some digging and they're like, no, these remains are hundreds of years old. Yeah. And then they figured out the way that the other bodies were discovered, they had the skull and crossbones pattern. Oh, okay. And then they also had evidence of tuberculosis. Gotcha. So this is one of the more recent discoveries of victims of the vampire panic. Wow. Archaeologists think that there are so many more because when somebody died of consumption, it was usually like, okay, they're really, really sick. That's disgusting. Throw them in a grave. Okay, bye. Right. And then a lot of times graves were desecrated, dug up, rearranged, Mm -hmm. vandalized, put in unmarked graves. Um, Tuberculosis spread really quickly among anybody. Right. But it was especially prevalent among people who were lower income. Yeah. So oftentimes their families couldn't afford to have a proper burial, a proper headstone. So we really realistically don't know how many other victims are out there. They could just be buried in unmarked graves all throughout New England. Definitely. Retired Connecticut state archaeologist Nicholas Bellantoni stated, these people in early New England history were just trying to stop the deaths. They were desperate, and when all else failed, some families were willing to go into the graves if it meant saving themselves and their families. I mean, to be fair, the thought of going to dig up a loved one is pretty traumatic, I would think. That's so sad. And, like, I'm sure, you know, whether they thought it was going to fix all their problems or not, that's not, like, an easy decision to make. No, and it's very driven by fear. Yeah. And it's your gut instinct for self-preservation. It's the thing inside you, like, it's very fight or flight. It's a very animal instinct. Like, I need to save my fucking life. Right. I am dying, and I need to save myself. If this is what I'm being told is going to save me or save my family, Mm -hmm. so be it. Right. Right. Oh, scary. 
Very scary. Yeah. Um, but guys, that is the vampire panic in New England. Long history. Spanned all six New England states, mm-hmm. which, like you said, is a first for us. Um, it's just, I did not know that that happened before you mentioned it last year. Yeah. And there are some, you know, of course, there's going to be a million and one pop culture references to vampires. Yes. Yeah. Um, and a few episodes ago, uh, for Lady of the Dunes, mm-hmm. I mentioned that American Horror Story did something on her. Yes. In that same season, they referenced the Vampire Panic of New England. Oh, that's cool. So there's little, like, references and stuff. That is neat. But yeah, it's a very fascinating piece of New England history that usually mm-hmm. is not talked about because it's usually, like, the Salem Witch Trials gets all the spotlight. Yeah. But yeah, we wanted to kick off our spooky Halloween extravaganza VIP crazy true crime new england party bus city <laughs> uh tm tm of course extravaganza because <laughs> we love doing halloween episodes and mm-hmm. it's a fun little i don't know yeah change and it's a good one to kick us off yeah um very historical mm-hmm. you know encompasses all the states of new england yes and yeah it's just a really fascinating piece of history that ties in very well with Halloween. Yes! So if you guys have any stories similar to this one, or your own thoughts and theories behind consumption, vampire panic, Mm -hmm. all of that, in any of the New England states, you can absolutely reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at truecrimeny. All lowercase. Or you can send us an email at truecrimeny at gmail.com. We also have a website, truecrimeny.com. You could... Go through our pages, look at the other cases we've covered, maybe do a little flashback to our previous Halloween ones. Yes. You could go to our handy-dandy submission tool where you can be anonymous if you so choose, leave your name if you so choose. You could suggest cases for us to cover. You could tell us your thoughts on this one. Or your thoughts in general. Yeah, how's your day going? What are you thinking about? How's the weather where you are? Yeah, like, is it cold like it is right now for me and Katie? Or (laughs) are you somewhere nice? Are you somewhere that doesn't get fall foliage and spooky Halloween weather? Yeah, let us know. Talk to us. Just just talk to us, okay? (laughs) We want to listen to you. And also, we like getting messages and emails. And also, we appreciate you guys so much for listening, as always. So much. And we are so thankful that you guys stick around. Um, If you want, we always invite you to go on to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Spotify, you can do star review. Uh, Apple Podcasts, you can do star and a written review. Mm -hmm. Typically, people do five stars, I think. If you guys would be so kind to um, keep the pattern going... I'm just kidding, guys. But seriously, we appreciate you so much. Mm-hmm. Any and all feedback is appreciated. We love talking to you guys. And when you message us and when you email us, we respond. It's not like we have anyone working for us. Yeah, we don't have like a social media team. Yeah. It's literally me or Liz, depending on. Yep. And the way you can tell is if you send us an email, whoever is writing it will sign their name first. Yeah. So. Fun fact. <laughs> also, Katie usually answers the DMs, just so you guys know. I never get to them fast enough. Usually I'm like more social media. Yeah. And then Liz, you usually get to the emails. Yeah. So it's like, send us something. We'll talk to you. Yeah. We'll talk to you. And um, with that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.